Friends, before we get to the scripture, please join me and let's pray. God, we pray that you will speak to our hearts. We pray that you will expand the capacity of our souls. We pray that we will hear your truth and that we will not hold it at arm's distance, but that we will allow it to consume us. Be with us, God, and may we be with you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Our scripture passage for this morning comes from Jeremiah 29, verses 4 through 7. It says this, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons. Give your daughters in marriage that they might bear sons and daughters. Multiply there. Do not decrease but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. My friends, sometimes the good news just doesn't sound like good news. In our scripture for today, the good news came to this small group of Israelites as they said goodbye to their world as they knew it. When these exiled Israelites received this letter from Babylon to Babylon, postmarked from Jerusalem, they were disorientated and dismayed and scared. They had been removed from their city. They had been removed from their way of life. They had been removed from their traditions and their rituals and their comforts. And on top of that, every one of them who was hearing Jeremiah's letter had been separated from their family and their friends and their loved ones who still remained in Jerusalem, who had not been taken into exile in Babylon, who had been left behind to just carry on their lives as though nothing had changed. So as the ones in exile heard this letter from Jeremiah, they were listening with a whole bunch of emotions, some of those being that they felt isolated and alone. They were living in a foreign land. They were apart from both the people they loved and from the things that they loved to do. And they wanted nothing more than to rush back to the way that things had always been. They wanted nothing more than to wake up and find themselves as they were before this whole mess had started. That's why they liked the first prophet so much. This prophet who came really for Jeremiah, his name was Hananiah. And he said that the exile wasn't really going to amount to anything. Hananiah had said that they would be back home like nothing had changed in only two years, tops. Hananiah had said that this exile was a hiccup in the larger scheme of their lives. And so if they could just close their eyes really tight and bear it out, pretty soon they would open their eyes and find themselves standing right back in Jerusalem, surrounded by their loved ones, feeling like no time had passed. Of course, 
Hananiah was also lying. Scripture tells us that Hananiah was lying, but it's not really something that we need to be told. Because we know that as much as we would like not to be disturbed or changed or affected by unexpected events, we know that that's impossible. We are always affected by the things around us, by the people around us, by the events that happen to us or even happen near us. The lie that Hananiah told is the lie that we are the most desperate to believe. That what is done or what we do has no consequence on us and has no consequence on anyone else. Sometimes, my friends, the good news just doesn't sound like good news. After Hananiah had died as a result of his lies, Jeremiah wrote to the people in exile and told them our scripture passage for today. He said, Build your houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters and then give your children away in marriage and enjoy your grandchildren. Seek the welfare of Babylon, this place where you don't belong. Pray for good to come here because when you pray for good to come to the place where you are, then you will have good come to you. And that's why they liked Hananiah so much better than they liked Jeremiah. Because to the exiled people who were desperate for their experiences of isolation and disorientation to pass them by like a cloud overhead, Jeremiah's direction to find a way to live where they were and to live life to the full sounded like anything but good news. Because you see, if they set about the task of turning houses into homes, if they seeded gardens that established roots, if they started living their lives now with their eye on the day when they would hold their first grandchild, then that means that they were not going to escape this experience of exile unchanged. Then that means that they might not ever get to open their eyes and find themselves standing in Jerusalem. That means that they would have to consider the idea that they would never go home because they had already had a home. They would have to consider that things would never return to normal because their lives already were normal. Worst of all, if they prayed for the good of the place where they had found themselves, then God just might do it. God might just bless these circumstances that they had never wanted and just might give them joy and fullness of life in a situation that they never wanted to be in. They might just have to accept that they didn't get what they wanted and worse, that they were better off for it. I remember when I was about to enter the fifth grade, 
It was the end of the summer, and we were about to find out who our teacher was going to be for the year. There were three fifth grade teachers, Mrs. Holmes, Mrs. Ruffner, and Ms. Frankel. And everyone knew that Ms. Frankel was the meanest, most scariest, most strict of all three of the teachers. All of my friends had secured agreements from their parents that they would be transferred out of Miss Frankel's class if they were assigned to her room. All of my friends had secured agreements with their parents, but not me. I had begged for an agreement from my parents, but as the child of two public school teachers, my parents wouldn't even hear the argument. They'd say to me, you have to try to get along with all kinds of people. Argument after argument after argument, I assured them that they were ruining my life. I promised them that I was going to have the worst year ever. I told them that I would never accept that I was a student of Miss Frankel's class. And today, my parents still find occasional joy in reminding me about how much I cried when I said goodbye to Miss Frankel at the end of my fifth grade year about how much I loved her class, about how much she invested in me and grew me up in the best of ways. Friends, there is nothing worse than God's bless and than God blessing the circumstances that we are determined to resist and despise. There is nothing worse than being told that things are about to change and we just have to accept it. Every fiber in our being resists news like that to the point where we can convince ourselves that we are called to resist living life and living life to the full because obviously God wouldn't want it that way. Obviously God wouldn't want anything to change to the point where we will clamor and believe the lie that we can escape anything unaffected and unchanged. We will do this to the point where we will squeeze our eyes so tight and miss out on the work that we need to do faithfully to ensure that we are not only living life, but that we are living life to the full, particularly because the circumstances have changed. Friends, we are living in an unprecedented time. You don't have to tell that to me. I'm the one speaking to a camera. But this time is not a time for us to squeeze our eyes against the truth, which is that we are still called to an opportunity. Our calling as Christians has not changed just because our circumstances have changed. We are still the people who are charged with living life and living it to the full. We are still the people who are charged to pray for the welfare of the place where we find ourselves. And today, we find ourselves isolated. I would really hate for us as Christians to endure these next weeks or months 
and think that somehow we'll open our eyes, finding ourselves back in Jerusalem just as things had always been. We have an opportunity now to be changed for the better. We have an opportunity now to know God's call better than we ever have. It takes a lot of work to be able to think about the people that we're not seeing every day. It takes a lot of attention to be able to remember those that we don't often run into, that we don't find ourselves in the same room as. But if we want to be the people we're called to be for the next few weeks, then we have to be the people who train ourselves to remember the ones that we do not see and to pray for them. We have to be the ones who pray for the people that are most affected by isolation and loneliness, not just during a pandemic, but every single day. If we miss this opportunity to allow these circumstances to teach us something new, then we are missing out on our calling, and we don't want that. I love this part of scripture right at the beginning where it says, multiply there and do not decrease. How do we multiply where we are when we have to stay isolated from other people in order to be good stewards of their lives and of ours? How do we make sure that we do not decrease? I don't have the answers, friends. I'm asking you the question. Can we figure those answers out together? Can we make that commitment to make sure that we will be caring for those that we are charged to care for? Our neighbors who maybe we do not know, our friends who we haven't seen, the people who sit next to us in worship who we sometimes maybe say hi to them, sometimes don't get the chance to. Can we make the commitment to love them better, to make sure that it doesn't decrease, that we don't decrease? Can we make sure that we are affected by these circumstances in a way that brings life and life to the full? We will not escape this unchanged, and that is the good news. May we hear it as good news. I'm going to invite Willow and the band to come up and join me. And I'm going to ask that we take a little time as they set up and as they play a little bit to pray and to think about how God might be calling us to better care for the lives of those around us. We already know that it means social distancing and making sure that we're not putting ourselves in the path of a pandemic. But what can we do beyond that? How can we pray more faithfully for one another? Can we join a prayer tree where we're watching out for one another, where we are sending daily smiles to one another? Can we make sure that we're seeing the person who is crying in the parking lot because they're afraid to go into the supermarket? Can we go and offer to bring them to do their shopping and bring them food? Can we call on the ones who need to stay in their homes? What can we do? We have some of the answers, but not them all. So I'm going to invite you to join me now as the band plays just a little bit quietly to pray and to think about how we might be God's people during this time, how we might make sure that we do not decrease, how we might still be people 
of the good news.